If you enjoy the show, remember you can support it on Patreon at patreon.com slash Club. This is how the show is financed. So if you enjoy it, please consider sending a couple of bucks our way. The link is in the show notes. Thank you. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Phileas Club. This is episode 135. We're in uh, October 2019, and we're talking about France, Germany, and the love that united us. Yeah, let's go with that. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Phileas Club. This show is where we get together with different people from around the world and talk about things that have been happening and give you the takes from people who have different cultures and different opinions about stuff. And uh, today it's going to be, it is a regular show, not a special where we cover one specific topic, but it's going to be a um, lighter show than usual because it's just the two of us. It's me, Patrick Beja, from Finland, although I'm French, and him, Matthias. I, I don't remember if we say your full name on the show. Matthias Keller, it's fine. Uh, from Germany, just the two of us. Hello, everyone. Do, it's just do you want to sing? I, 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 yeah, I, I wanted to sing a little bit. Do you, wanna, you want to like... Sing? Yeah, just the two of us. Just the two of us. We can make it if we try. Just I'm not sure you want no. me to sing. Okay, never mind. We'll just turn off the show right <laughs> you now. You and then. I. Um, okay, I was a little bit off key there. But you know what? This is a great metaphor for <laughs> where we are right now. Um, checking it with the checking in with the EU. It's essentially just the two of us. The the Franco-German couple, as we call it uh, in France. We say le couple franco-allemand. Do you say that in Germany at Not all? Not as a couple, but there is a special <laughs> relationship, I guess, the French-German <laughs> relationship, I don't know. So from the French side, we made it official, and you're like, uh, I don't know if we're ready to take it that far. Um, well, maybe we need marriage counseling right now anyway. So <laughs> That is true. That's exactly uh, where we stand. Um, so, yeah, we were talking a little bit before we started the show, and I think that's that's going to be interesting for um, people listening who might not have, uh, you know, the, the uh, historical knowledge of the French-German relationship. I was looking for a uh, picture to illustrate the show on the website, um, and sometimes I put a little bit more thought into those, and sometimes I don't, because it's really just the people who go to the website who see them. But uh, I, I found the famous picture of François Mitterrand and Helmut Kohl holding hands in probably the 80s. Um, we were saying probably the late 80s at a, I think it was a commemoration of the end of World War II. And it made me... So for those who don't know, uh, Mitterrand was president of France, Kohl was chancellor of Germany, and Kohl was also like uh, two feet taller than Mitterrand. So the picture is kind of weird looking, but it also made me instantly, I wouldn't say emotional, although maybe a little bit because of what it 
symbolizes and represents over the course of the last century's history. Um, I don't know if you have the same feelings <laughs> about that fi that picture and and what it shows, but uh, it's certainly it kind of something. symbolizes the same, yeah. But yeah. I think it wasn't for World War Two. It was World War One. It was, uh, if I oh. recall correctly, it was for the Verdun Memorial for so for World War One, and I think it's possible. if I. I'm 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 just googling it right now, and uh, I think it was 1984. There you go. So maybe okay. it was for the start of the First World War, and mm -hmm. uh, since Verdun. So if you know history, you know Verdun was one of the bloodiest battles, yeah. and uh, that's a, kind of a symbol for the uh, animosity, the arch enemy, Germany and France in World War One, and. Uh, And I say World War II because this is the one, of course, we remember a little bit more since it's closer. Uh, although the, both are discussed pretty much equally. Maybe the second one is discussed more in uh, international circles. Uh, I don't know. But um, it's the, essentially the, the, the animosity, as you said, between French, French, France and Germany. And the very deep and genuine friendship that has... Uh, been created between the two countries over 30 or 40 years after the end of the Second World War, um, which was symbolized by this uh, hand-holding. It's, yeah. it's, it's was actually act actively sought after because there were a lot of initiatives and uh, like the, 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 the exchange programs, the youth exchange and uh, the, uh, I don't know what it's called. Erasmus in, in French, uh, the, the student exchange uh, in university. Not just the un in university, but in general, like uh, mm. you have, and we have partner cities. Every German city has a partner city in France. And um, then there is this uh, going back to World War One and World War Two. The uh, graveyards are uh, attended by by certain uh, groups, and they use this to deepen the friendship between the uh, German and French people. And uh, then we have uh, even more official acts, like uh, for example, now we have the German-French Brigade. We have a, uh, a brigade made up of German and French soldiers stationed near uh, the border. And uh, th those are, of course, more symbol symbolic things, but uh, they are actively worked on after World War II and, uh, and especially of World War One, I, I guess. I think, so. well, I mean, after World War One, it No, no, I mean really... the experiences from World War One. Right, because, yeah. Uh, Yeah, I mean, the trench warfare was obviously the the World War II was traumatic for everyone. But the trench warfare is deeply ingrained into the psyche of um, the French and German uh, uh, people in general. And maybe it's getting a little bit lost nowadays. I don't know if it's if it was already not the entire population. And but yeah, that that the scars of the land are you know, replicated in our minds. And it's something that is still to this day, more than a century later, extremely um, present. When you, I think it was there all the time before. Now it's when you think about it a little bit, when you stop and think about it a little bit, but it's kind of impossible to forget. Um, and, the, and the point that you're making, I think, is incredibly important, that these things didn't happen, didn't occur naturally like by themselves they occurred 
because there was the political will and and uh, intent to make them occur. There was the the fresh memory of those wars and the desire to make sure that that would not happen again, which I think people are taking for granted nowadays, you know, kids yeah. and uh, the like. You're right, because nowadays, even the older politicians are a generation that hasn't lived through the Second World War, or if they did, they were small children. So the memories of the uh, two world wars are not present in the mind of politicians and uh, the general public anymore. Although right now, World War One is again a hot topic because of the 100th anniversary and yeah. a lot of, you know, documentaries and um, remembrance and uh, events like that. So that's coming back to mind. But you're right. World War Two overshadows everything, especially in Germany, for obvious reasons. Yeah. And uh, as, as you said, it was it was the um, attempt to uh, make this never happen again, the um, political attempt. And also, if you think about it, I think no one really can imagine fighting a war against France nowadays in Germany, even if you are like one of those crazy uh, warmonger, right wing, whatever. I think no one really thinks about starting a war with France of any countries. Mm. And as, apart from the obvious economic idioc idiocracy that would be, I mean, with the EU and yeah, the, all of the, the economic consequences. consequences. But you mean because yeah. we feel close to one another is we don't think about starting. I'm not sure a war. if it's close to one another, but it's just <sighs> you're seen as you're the neighbor. You don't really you you can fight over. So like family political kind stuff, of. but you don't start a war with them. Mm. It's, it's not feasible anymore. Yeah, it's yeah. It certainly feels that way here as well. It's we're we're too close. Like what? It's outside of the realm of uh, rationality to start a war. It would be like what? What are you talking about? It's like brothers fighting, and then someone giving one of them a gun and saying, "Yeah, now shoot them." And like what? No, what are you? What are you talking about? So, but and especially if you're living in the border areas, I mean that that's, yeah. that the border is still there on paper, but it's so fluent nowadays because everyone from France has come to Germany to shop and vice versa, and mm. they often speak in the, at least in the border regions both languages. So there isn't really a, a definitive line that separates us anymore. Yeah. So, good job, uh, politicians, trying to make sure we don't die horribly in, in horrendous wars. Um, you got your influence is still felt today. How long until it all disintegrates? I don't know. But uh, I would like to never have to find out and to keep Europe going uh, and the EU going, if possible, because that is extremely helpful in that, uh, in that sense. So, yeah, it's kind of hard to imagine that only 60 years ago we were literally at each other's throats. I remember thinking, I might have talked about it in, uh, in this show, and then we'll move on to other topics. But um, I remember thinking when I was working at uh, Blizzard in France, hanging out with uh, German uh, employees of the company that were working in France as well, and they were, we were joking about 
Nazis and World War II and just, you know, saying, oh, I can't remember what we were saying, but silly jokes about that. And at some point we were struck by the fact that our grandparents, well, maybe not mine because I come from Lebanon, but, you know, the, the grandparents of people our age were very possibly killing each other in, these, in this war. Just, it's not like 15 generations ago, it's one or two generations ago. Um, and now it was a topic of conversation, light conversation and laughter even. That is an incredible achievement by the, the you know, political will of uh, the post-war era. So anyway, that's always, and, and that picture um, is very memorable. If you want to check it out, uh, go to frenchspin.com. It will be the illustration for this episode. Ah, all right. Well, that was a little bit hopeful. Uh, want to bring down the mood? <laughs> With sure, why not? <laughs> because if you look at the news, it's not something that brightens your mood nowadays, I guess. For me, yeah. it's just uh, whenever I look at the news, it's like I'm getting so tired of everything these days. And uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's sad, but it's a constant stream of, I'm sorry, bullshit from all sides. And uh, it feels, for me at least, it feels like we're discussing a lot of topics, but we're not actually discussing the problems, but we're all discussing in phony debates about superficial things, but not the real problems. Mm. And that's, uh, that's kind of tiresome, at least for me it is. So what kind of things are you referring to? I mean, it's it's a lot of stuff from if you look on the international side, there's the constant stream of idiocracy from the US. Mm -hmm. Then there is, or at least it's not the US, of course, but it's the government, the, the current uh, administration. Then there's the uh, constant madness from the UK with Brexit. And uh, then you have all the domestic policies and everything around us is starting to burn kind of literally if you go for climate change. And uh, yeah, well, for, 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 for the domestic side, we have the discussion about climate change and how to react to climate change. You have uh, the horrible events in Halle, the uh, right-wing attack on uh, Jewish people. Then you have uh, the uh, superficial debate about freedom of speech, which is uh, completely out of place, but still raging. Then you, we have a lot of... Why uh, is there a debate about freedom of speech? Mainly because uh, the right wing is trying to victimize themselves and uh, starting discussions about, oh, there is no freedom of speech anymore. We are not allowed to say mm. anything anymore. And um, even moderate politicians now use that for their political political gain or for their uh, populist announcements and try to victimize themselves and start the discussion even i mean they say there is no freedom of speech which is which is of course bullshit and even even more so if they're if they're going on stage at a public event and saying we are not allowed to say things anymore dude mm. you're literally on stage saying things like that mm. so there of course there is freedom of speech but uh, the problem is that um, a lot of people now face criticism and that's what they mean by we are not allowed to say anymore because 
you are now getting a reaction and uh, people are uh, opposed to your views and articulate that. And if you are uh, the uh, middle-aged white male, a few years ago, you could say anything without any consequences. And now you realize, well, if I say things like that, people are uh, objecting to that and are... Uh, giving counter arguments and I don't like that because a few years ago that didn't happen and I could say whatever I want now I can't so that's mainly the issue I think and of course the tone in dis in discussions I mean we all know that especially online people are uh, I I don't know if the unhinged is the right word but uh, the tone is getting rough. Everyone is uh, insulting everyone instead of talking to each other. So that's also but part of the But hasn't that been the case for a few years at least now? I wonder, I'm sure it's, it's heating up possibly, but I wonder if this isn't um, you getting tired of it and with as the part of the process, and hear me out, as part of the process of understanding how to live in this new reality where if you go out and seek out things to be angry about you find them 24 7 unlike you know a couple of decades ago when you had to wait for the eight o'clock news to be <laughs> frustrated and angry and so because I, i'm saying this because I kind of went through the same process um, of being angry at everything because it was being thrown in my face by Twitter and Facebook and 24-hour news to kind of getting tired of all of this and having to triage, are there things that I should really be angry about and things that are just people talking? And you know. I know what you mean, and I think you're right that uh, especially Twitter and Facebook and online social and social media online are uh, exacerbating this, uh, uh, inflating this a bit, and um, it's not as bad, I guess, in the conversations you have on the street. But um, I'm I was talking about this because this is a topic that has been discussed in media a lot lately, and there mm. have also been a few court um, decisions which uh, are on this topic and were uh, very controversial and uh, a lot of the well um, the journalists that are the embodiment i guess of the old white men i mean the, the conservative journalists on in the old newspapers the the the, the ones that were uh, read like 10 years ago almost exclusively who don't who have now a lot of competition online are complaining about that so it's not more like uh, not just me saying oh i see that more but it's also the discussion in the public and in uh, media which I was referring to. Mm. So it's not just that I see that, but also something that has been a topic for a while now, mm. especially with um, court decisions. Like there was a very controversial one a few weeks ago where a politician, a woman uh, who is a, a prominent uh, politician in the Green Party, and she was trying to sue, if I recall correctly, as there, were, there were insults thrown at her on Facebook. And she wanted to um, uh, force Facebook to reveal the identity of the person so, so she could sue them for slander or whatever. And uh, the court uh, then made a very controversial decision that she has to live with that. 
um, insults because she uh, is a politician and the insults, even though they weren't really, were um, part of the discussion of her political views. Mm. So um, I'm sorry, it, it, there is a curse word coming out, Justice Ramanda, they called her a dirty cunt. And the court says, well, calling a politician a dirty cunt is a way to uh, discuss her political views. Like what? And uh, um, I mean, yeah. I, I understand that that could be a, a frustrating decision, but then what do you do? Do you say you can't call people a cunt or an asshole or a, yeah, we're going <laughs> to, you can't imagine what other kinds of insults could be yeah, levied, yeah, but know. right. No, but it, you can't say, I, I understand the logic behind it. I, you can't say, no, you can't say that. Right. Or can you, do you think we shouldn't be able to call people anything like that? Or is it Not just sure that if we the need to in a civilized discussion? But apart from that, uh, and I mean, the problem really, is wait, that... wait, I want to challenge you on that. Are you okay. saying that we could, we should ban people from calling other people cunts? Like, I understand mm. it's a bad word. Maybe you don't want it to be aired on TV as they do in, in, uh, in, in, in the US or. I, I understand a maybe it's a sexist word, so we don't want it. Like the N word can't be used anywhere uh, in in the U.S. Especially, um, do you think it should be that kind of level? Because "cunt" is a special kind of word. Because no, no, I no, no, a, no, not no, that, okay. not that at all. I'm I'm not saying you're not allowed to uh, insult anybody. I guess, mm. but uh, again, that's a, a difference between someone. If you have listeners from the US right now, they'll be outraged because they have a different uh, understanding or a different concept of free speech than we ex in, exam for in Europe, for example, have. Like uh, we have limits on free speech in the sense that you are not allowed to, uh, for example, deny the Holocaust and stuff like that. That is right. allowed in the US, but it's punishable here in Germany, for example, just there are limits. Mm -hmm. And the same goes for insults. So if I'm just doing that out of anger in the middle of a conversation, no one would say anything. But if there is a limit where the person I'm insulting can actually uh, go to court over this in mm -hmm. certain cases. And uh, the problem here is that um, politicians are complaining uh, that they get a lot of more, a lot more insults nowadays, even down to threats, and there have been a lot of death threats to okay, politicians. Okay, but that's different. Yeah, that's and, different. That, that, but that's part of the the, the whole uh, idea. So the 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 but uh, tone the, in online discussion court... is getting rougher. And she was, and that was that was just the one case. And just to mm. be clear, the uh, the insult they're using is translated something that is a bit more serious than just the cunt word where uh, like uh, every British person is now wise cunt and insult. It's just uh, what mm. I call my buddy. So it's uh, <laughs> a different, just okay. a little bit different in translation, just to be clear. But um, the decision was um, controversial because of the way the argument was by the court was made. And it's not the final decision, the final verdict, because uh, there's another level, the next level. Uh, of the courts will probably just uh, make another ruling. And mm. uh, so that that's not the end of it. But uh, that was just a point where uh, people are saying it's um, increasingly difficult for politicians and especially women, because women are targeted more uh, often than men in this case. 
And um, that also prevents a lot of people from seeking office, for example, or from uh, going into political parties because they're afraid they're getting targeted. So that's... Okay, I, I think that's a wider conversation than just seeking out someone's identity because they called you uh, a, a cunt. And I'm sorry for repeating this word. I know it was going to be offensive to many people, and especially, I think, in the US. But we're talking about it in kind of a clinical, academic uh, way. Um, so it's different from seeking out someone's identity for calling you a cunt online. I think even when you're saying there have been death threats, that also is a different matter. If there are death threats, then uh, if the court said, no, that's fine, maybe I would have a different uh, mm. interpretation of it. And again, if you're talking about the general, um, the issue of the general climate of ag aggressivity, uh, aggressivity against people and especially politicians and especially women and probably especially um, you know, people of color and minorities, then yes, that is a problem that maybe we should try and look at how to fix. But it's a different issue than getting someone's name because they called you a cunt. Is the, what the, I the issue was there? Um, I mean, there are legal precedences where you can actually do that. She was not making mm -hmm. that because she was feeling she was having a bad day, and now I'm going to get this mm -hmm. guy, because mm -hmm. there are legal. You are legally allowed to uh, sue someone if they. Uh, insult you in a special way that there's mm. special criteria so not every insult is punishable but in, in extreme cases and that's what the courts are for i mean they decide right. is that legal or not and mm. she was trying to get such a ruling but if she um, she needs the uh, identity of the person to make this ruling and I that see. was the first step and um, it's it's um, not that um this specific case is uh, like something, something, something um, special or out of the ordinary, but it's just something that was high profile mm, in I this see. case. And uh, again, I'm sorry, the, the trend, it loses a lot of this in the translation, and I don't, I'm not um, versed on all it's... the words she was called, and mm. it was just um, if you read it again, if I would read it again, it was very outrageous in a sense that even a lawyer said what are the courts talking about that's complete okay so court. it wasn't just essentially it, it was wasn't just that she was not even in, in in political circles but also in uh, judicial circles so um, okay uh, justices were uh, saying uh, well uh, our colleagues made a very uh, strange ruling there or uh, mm. the lawyer said well if that's the case then and they were also discussing it in, in academic circles and as i said it's just the first court that ruled like that if the, the next uh, instance in the uh, the next higher court will probably reverse the decision yeah. and uh, make a new ruling but there was just something that came to mind in this context so it's not um, like that was something special they are talking about now but, right, yeah. right. So it, it's not it's not exactly equivalent to seeking someone's identity because they called you a cunt. It was worse than that and more uh, um It was a lot worse and, yeah, uh, okay. and a, a very specific. And the problem was it was um, it came up. It was uh, something she said in the 80s uh, in Parliament. And it was uh, taken a bit out of context to 
put her statement in a different uh, perspective than she intended. Okay, and, so uh, there that, was some kind of libel uh, element as well, I guess, uh, which was that, that that wasn't the problem, but it was it was uh, used to heat up the conversation and uh, make her out to be a villain, and that led to a lot of insults from people who were outraged at her supposed statements. Okay. And uh, that one thing led to another, and then the uh, insults piled up and piled up, and the worst ones were the ones she was uh, trying to mm. uh, get the identity to uh, take them to court over that. Okay. So it, it sounds more again, complex uh, as usual, more complex than right. uh, something. And, like and again, I'm sorry, but the translation, it loses a lot of it in the translation. And uh, right. I'm not a legal expert, so I can't uh, give you the correct translations for right, all the legal right. terms. So <laughs> I'm sorry about that. No, I'm not sure the legal experts could would be the best. Maybe we need a, a, a an English person with the subtleties of the English language for really uh, uh, horrible insults, but, um, um, okay. So the general feeling is that you're tired of all the BS and, yeah. um, That's, and I can uh, relate. Just one, th one thing that you may, you, I think you discussed that a little bit in the last episode because, uh, the ever recurring topic of climate change and, um, there were the very notable, um, uh, strikes in September mm -hmm. were, uh, Fridays for Future, for example, in Germany, and uh, now Extinction Rebellion were uh, protesting. And in the aftermath, or at the same time, our government presented their new climate package, which is supposedly the answer to uh, climate change for uh, Germany. So what we are planning to do to limit uh, our uh, CO2 uh, Emissions, yeah. Emissions and uh, what we're going to do to fight climate change. And uh, the problem is everyone, like not only the um, uh, the uh, activists, but also uh, a lot of the politicians themselves said, well, that's just not enough. That mm. would have been a nice package if it was like 30 years ago. But now at the current stage we're in, this is just not enough. That's not even an att a real attempt. That's just for show. And even then, a lot of the um, critics who not outright deny climate change but don't want to face it are saying even that is too much for the average citizen. They can't bear it. It's too costly for them. And it's just we're not discussing the real issues. We're just creating new little uh, battlefields around it to divert attention. And uh, we're not getting to the point, to the core issue, really. And a lot of people, especially the young people who are um, actively trying to uh, get a change in climate policy, are now frustrated because they see we're everyone is agreeing that there is the problem. There's actually no debate about the problem itself. And you're still not doing anything. Mm. What are we supposed to do if, if you are not listening to us? And I think that's, that's uh, yeah. I think that's a um, a common theme and a common thread where we're not debating really the the core issue itself anymore. We're debating every we're debating what to do about it, but everyone agrees about the core issue, like to an extent that hasn't been um, seen before. So you know. Maybe it's the, the I would say baby steps, but the problem is, do it's we have time for baby, baby steps. steps? Yeah, exactly. So um, is, are people in France actually talking about uh, climate yeah, change yeah, and yeah, yeah. Uh, what or what is France doing in this regard? Well, that's the same issue as 
in Germany and every country. Um, I think when you take a, a, a stance, when you look at it from a climate change perspective, which is the one that actually matters, then you should, um, you know, you think of very drastic measures. But when you look at the economic and political realities that you have to contend with, then it's difficult to make those decisions in that way. Um, especially since everyone has solutions as long as they don't impact them too much. And I include myself in this probably, I don't know, but um, I, I think it's, it's, for example, the, I don't want to throw the gilet jaune under the, the bus because I don't think that's fair, but the, the, reason why the whole movement started, or the spark, I should say, was that there was an increase in uh, fuel costs through tax for climate change reasons, to disincentivize um, the purchasing of fuel and pushing people towards more renewable sources of energy somehow. Um, and, and of course, the Gilets Jaunes are saying, well, it's very sweet and very cute that you think this is going to help, but what we really need to do is to create big shifts in industry because this is where it really matters. And I think that's a fair piece of criticism. I'm not saying, you know, oh, the Gilets Jaunes don't want to do anything that impacts them. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying everyone is looking at their neighbor to, to say, well, we could change that over there. Um, but not so, but, but when it comes to me, it's just not tenable for me to change that, the, the thing I do like that, because what do you want me to do? And that's true. You know, if you tell people, well, you can't drive cars anymore, especially when, if you're not in the city, um, what do they do? They have, it's the same for me. I live in the countryside. Um, we looked at an electric car, but it just wasn't viable for distances alone. And so what did we bought a fuel car um, and, and we didn't really have a choice if we wanted to get our son to daycare. Um, so we're still, you know, we're hippies. So we're looking at um, geothermal heating and maybe at some point solar panels and stuff like that. But overall, and if you look at France, we have we don't even really have the problem of coal burning and stuff like that for electricity because um a, a long time ago nuclear. yes we have nuclear uh power uh for 80 percent of our electricity and we've had that for you know many decades so of course nuclear has other issues which by the way um i watched the bill gates documentary on um on netflix and the last part is about modern nuclear plants. And oh my God, it looks like the solution to a big part of our problems. And maybe it's it was presented in a very positive light, but it seems like it's the best, maybe not perfect, but the best solution we would have um, for electricity. And it uses, like, it reuses spent uh, uh, enriched uranium rods discarded from other nuclear facilities. And it's modern in a way that is, like, it's the, the, the nuclear plants that we use now are, the best cases, designed in the 60s. 
And now, if we look at them how we would do them today, we can make them so much safer, so much uh, less polluting, so much everything. And the reason, at least according to what they were saying in the documentary, and I don't think they're you know spinning it to make it look sexy. It's there; they have no point in, no interest in doing that. Um, they the the reason we're not looking at that is because of the stigma of nuclear power, which. All of the reasons for that stigma are not present in those uh, more modern nuclear designs, nuclear power plant designs. And anyway, that's an aside. Um, but it it feels like a really tangible, creative solution to our problems that we could implement right now. And it wouldn't fix everything, but it would fix a lot. So I would encourage to good you to go check it out and maybe we'll need to speak to a nuclear power plant scientist to get the real uh, um, situation there but um, so yeah to answer your question in less than uh, the 15 minutes I just took it is also a big discussion in France and I think everywhere now which is different from even 10 years ago hmm. But also um, something you said reminded me um, easy solutions um, are good as long as they don't impact you. There is something um, if we talk about the US, everyone is talking about guns and how stupid they are because they don't have gun control from a European perspective to be a little bit exaggerated. But you know what I mean? Uh, the same thing goes for Germany if it comes to cars. Because um, the worst thing you can do to a German, uh, it seems, is to limit the speed on the highway. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's the same. It's the same kind of discussion because uh, everyone agrees, well, we should just limit uh, speeds on the highway, on the Autobahn to something like 130 kph. Mm. That's reasonable for most other countries. Everyone around Germany, every country has a limit around 130 or 120 or 140. They all have limits. Just Germany doesn't have any. And if you suge even suggest that there should be a limit, everyone in the, uh, not just the industry, but also the guys who have the big cars are saying, well, you're taking away our freedom <laughs> because it's freedom for me to drive 200 kph on the Autobahn. For for and Americans, well, uh, hundred and thirty kilometers per hour is about eighty miles an hour. So yeah, that's, so it's it's yeah. it's, it's kind of the same discussion, and everyone says, well, that is something that wouldn't really impact you because even if you drive uh, faster than one thirty, uh, you won't save a lot of time in the long run. It might be a few minutes you get to the destination earlier, but not, nothing really significant in most cases, and it would really help uh, the pollution uh, to to bring down the pollution. For example, it's a simple measure, and uh, but still, uh, that's freedom, you know. And, mm. and there are really people who argue as if it was like the essential only freedom that only matters in this cases, even though it's something, let's just say, rather mundane, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, and it's not like 11 30, uh, 130 is slow. Slow, yeah, yeah. that's... Yeah, and, and well, that, but that's just the same kind of the same discussion you have in the U.S. If you want to take yeah, the yeah. guns away, and it was just something that reminded me because uh, it's kind of funny if we talk about the U.S. and how "quote unquote" dumb they are if they don't, uh, discuss gun control. It's the same over here with cars. So, um, 
Well, I'm going to talk about something where I will also um, make a comparison with the U.S.'s right to bear arms um, with religious, not freedom, the the not the opposite, uh, our lack of our secular government and tradition uh, in France, because the latest debate to uh, divide um, the country has been about the Islamic veil, once again, uh, although that's a little bit different. What happened, and I'm not a thousand percent sure about the um, uh, particulars of the case, it doesn't really matter what sparked it, uh, but the debate uh, started from, from what I can tell, um, a mother going to get their child at a school uh, wearing the hijab, the Islamic veil, um, you know, the thing that covers the um, hair. And there was a Front National or Rassemblement National, a far-right um, mayor or elected person there, uh, another woman, I believe, or maybe it was a man, but they essentially told them that they shouldn't wear the veil when they are coming to school to get their child. Um, or maybe they were a nanny. <laughs> so I again, as I said, I'm not a thousand percent um, certain on the particulars, but essentially there was a woman who was wearing a veil who came to a school and a far-right uh, person elected from the far-right uh, party told them, you shouldn't be here with your veil. And that sparked an entire conversation about the veil and whether or not women should be allowed to wear it in certain conditions in France or to wear it at all, like the debate became a little bit um, widespread. Now, I, I, a couple of things. First, I think it was that heated because the media and everyone jumped on it because there wasn't a lot of other hot topics to discuss. So it was a little bit like blown out of proportion obviously it was but more than it would have been if there was actual things happening and maybe some people will fight me on that but I think it is uh, the case but also I think it shows how um, as you said about speed we are very touchy on religion things that show religion in the public. And some people will say, oh, well, you can wear a cross on your, around your neck and that's fine. But if it's a veil, it's not. It's not. Um, I think, you know, it, there is to an extent, if, if someone came with to, to school, ugh, how can I explain this? Um, a veil is a little bit more visible than, for example, a... a, a Muslim symbol that you would wear on a um, necklace. That would not be a problem. So I, I just want to point that thing out. But we do have that obsession about making sure that we don't show uh, uh, religious signs as much as possible, especially in the context of school and the administration, in the same way that... Americans are attached to their guns, or apparently the Germans are attached to their 
crazy dangerous speeds on the highway. Um, and I didn't used to see it like this. I thought I was in the camp of, no, it shouldn't be, um, it, it, you know, we should be very careful about religious symbols and make sure they are as uh, 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 forbidden as possible in the context of the, the state and the public administration. I don't think I would have gone as far as that person here because like a woman outside of school come on but the, i i have changed i i think even my view on the veil because of my proximity with countries where um it's not as much a problem um the uk the us and many others um and we tend to be hysterical for lack of a better term, not quite hysterical, but I think it's fair to characterize it like this to an extent. We tend to be hysterical about these kinds of things. And I didn't see it like that at all. I would have seen it as a, yeah, let me put it like that. I think a few years ago, five, 10 years ago, I would have th seen this as a genuine, valid question and discussion to have. I don't know that I would have fallen on one or the other side, but I would have thought, yeah, this is something we should discuss and decide because it's a reasonable thing to question. Um, I, I think maybe it wouldn't have been the case and I would have uh, not uh, thought it was as important as that, but I, I, I think I would have. Today, I do see it as more, you know, more like a... Um, something that shouldn't really be a debate because I have gotten used to the idea that some, you know, uh, uh, religious signs are okay and they are not going to, I don't know, like corrupt everyone else by virtue of, of proximity. Um, I will point out though, the, the, the debate on the burqa, burqa, which is, the full thing that covers the face, I think, I still think is valid because in that instance, it is much more extreme and it is, I think, a vector of oppression for women. And even if they, say, you know, some of them say, well, I want to wear it, which is the entire question here about the, the hijab. Even if they say, I want to wear it, I think it ostracizes them and gives a an image of women to men as something to be hid, hidden. So that debate, which we had in France a couple of years ago, I think is still valid. And I'm um, not a big fan of the idea of the burqa. But the hijab, which is just, you know, a, 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 a foulard, a, a thing that covers your hair and neck, I am much less... Uh, worried about. Now, if you talk about the full garb, maybe I'll be a little bit more skittish. I can't help it. I'm French and it bothers me a little bit more. It's a little bit too uh, in your face, I guess. But just the 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 veil, just the, the thing on your hair, I think it's it's that question is artificial, maybe? I don't know. I fall on the side of why are we why are we making this into a um, a big deal when I don't think it should be? And the the worst part is that no one or very few people in the media who were discussing this 
were discussing it, this with women who were wearing it. You know, we didn't hear from them. We were just talking about them. And there were a couple of people who invited women who were wearing it to express themselves and explain. And, and I don't think they chose them specifically because some of them were a little bit hostile in the media. But it seems that all of their explanations made a lot of sense. You know, it was just, yeah, I want to wear it. It's a way for me to live my, my faith. And it's not like I'm saying anyone should be forced to wear it, and certainly they shouldn't, and many in my family aren't as religious as I am, and blah, 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 and and it's fine. And if you even, like, it, we, we, we're talking about these things going to extremes that are theoretical a lot of the time. And even when they happen, since they're not the majority, we can deal with those on an individual basis. And um, and so we generalize these extremes to make conclusions that are uh, themselves extreme. So that's my opinion on the thing. But it, but I it guess was... that's a problem not just on this topic, but on a lot of topics, because um, that's something you hear constantly as criticism for the political talk shows you have over here uh, on on TV, for example, that a lot of uh, times if you discuss a topic especially the controversial ones that you are discussing the topic or it is discussed by people who are talking about them but not talking with the people who are actually mm. affected by it but uh, the first thing that came to mind when you just said uh, that uh, this is a topic i was just thinking again because mm. it's like a recurring theme for me. And I, I can remember that we ha we had the same discussions. The two of us had the same discussions a few years ago about something similar. No, and, but it, that's um, what I was talking about. It was about the burqa. And that's why I brought it up. Because the burqa to me is different. The burqa is the one that covers the face that they, you know, that they uh, uh, impose. It's not imposed probably in France. And the cases are very limited. Like it's a few handful of women in France that wear it, but it's the the ones they impose in uh, uh, extreme Islamist uh, 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 regions, like extreme, yeah. like the, the uh, you know, you know what I'm talking about. I, but, I know what you're talking about. And I, I remember that that was the initial uh, reason why we discussed this. But mm. I remember, at least for us in Germany, we also noted the discussion because it was like uh, something about uh, women bathing on public uh, beaches and then wearing the burqa or something was the initial one that made the news back then. And it so turned, there was us, a question. Turned... Uh, oh, sorry, sorry. Go ahead. You, you're saying it happened as a discussion because women were bathing in yeah, Germany. There, I think that was no, 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 not in Germany. It was in France. Okay, but, so in uh, France, what it was... was. Sorry. So just to to specify what it was, um, what the debate turned to was that some women or men were wanted to have um, women-only days at the pool, or at least that's the part I remember, which I'm also not in favor of. You know, that is something that, again, is, I think, a valid uh, debate. Wear a special bathing hijab, if you want, or maybe even a full uh, um, bathing suit that covers your entire body. We could even go there. But when the debate turns to, well, we should have women-only days at the pool, that I don't think is uh, uh, 
some direction I want to go to. And I think that yeah, was, was the discussion. How it I became. remember that uh, this happened in France and that's that turned into a discussion over here as well. But uh, it wasn't limited to the burqa, but it was mm. also uh, extended to the whole hijab thing in general. And that's why I uh, just thought about again, because uh, for us, it was uh, like not just limited to the burqa the discussion, but also the complete headscarf thing in general. And uh, it's it's something that seems to be coming up in regular intervals, I guess. Uh, and yeah. there is no definite solution. Like we, we can't seem to get on a, a um, solution for that. And it just pops up every now and then again, especially if so. someone is trying to um, wear, a, wear a headscarf, for example, uh, as a teacher. And then they try to get they, this is a court case usually. And uh, whenever a court decides it's allowed or not allowed, then uh, it makes the news again. So and, do you uh, have the same kind of because I thought Germany was a very um, Christian or prote Protestant, Protestant country? Protestant. Protestant. Mean? Thank you. Yeah. Um, I, I, it's, so you it's, it's, do you have the same no religion at school? Kind of uh... in, in general, I guess, yes, because mm. uh, church and state are separated, but it's kind of iffy in the sense, um, especially in conservative or Catholic regions, for example, Bavaria, P uh, schools have a lot of the time a cross in the classroom, for example, mm. and a lot of people are arguing, well, if you display the cross, then why are you not allowed, allowing different symbols, for example, the hijab? Uh, that's funny in france i think i don't know but i think the the country would be thrown in a similar tizzy if someone <laughs> brought up the idea of a cross in a classroom yeah so even though we're and more accepting of of christian religious symbols in society i think mm -hmm. if there was a cross in a classroom people would get nuts as well so at least there's mm -hmm. some consistency there but again, that's not for the whole the whole uh, country because, mm. again, uh, especially in school matters, the different states are uh, the important governing body. Uh, education is a state responsibility, not for the whole uh, country, right. but every state has different uh, laws regarding education. And uh, usually, uh, the, if the courts decide, they usually say, well, if you are in a public office, for example, if you work in administration, public administration, or if you're a teacher, you're not allowed to wear a headscarf, or uh, usually you shouldn't uh, be allowed to um, display religious symbols. But a lot of the, in a lot of cases, they also say, well, why aren't you taking down the crosses as well? So it's, it's a bit, little bit difficult mm. uh, because you can't make a, a, a general statement for the whole country, but as a rule, uh, I guess everyone tries to keep religious symbols out of school, unless you are in the conservative parts of the country, I guess. Mm. It's, yeah, I think maybe it's specifically for the headscarf that my opinion has shifted, but it might be because, you know, there's a lot of this that is about familiarity, like being used to something. And even in uh, general pop culture products that are a little bit more inclusive, it might be as silly as... Um, the, the little illustrations I see on my kids' books and on, um, you know, material from the social security place, they always have like a, um, uh, 
meticulously diverse uh, cast of people in the illustrations. Like, there's the uh, slightly blacker person and the woman and the person with the scarf. And like, so it's, I, I'm just getting used to it. And I don't, I, I don't think anymore that this is a, an aggressive symbol of religious um, zealotry. I don't. I, I'm not saying I, I ever thought that specifically, but it seems to me it it has become a little bit benign, and it might be um, because of comics where I see you know there's Kamala Khan, Miss um, Marvel, which is a Marvel character. She's a Muslim, so in her environment there are people with hijabs and and things like that. It it might sound dumb, but I think it normalized this uh, a little bit. I was. This is a little bit of a tangent, but it's relevant on the normalizing aspect of things. Have you ever watched uh, Billions, the TV show? No, I haven't. Okay, so it's on HBO, at least here in in the Nordic region, uh, on HBO Nordic. And it is a show about horrible people making lots of money on the stock market and horrible people trying to stop them as state attorneys. Um, And... It's a it's an okay show. It's fun, but the thing that uh, brings it to my mind now is that one of the characters is non-binary. Um, they are called Taylor, and um, of course, it comes up on the show in the first or second episode where they appear, and um, they say, you know, I'm Taylor, blah blah blah, and my preferred pronouns are they them. Is it they them? I guess. Yes. And um, and you know the the people in the room look at each other and they're like, uh, okay. And from that point on, they essentially make the entire show referring to Taylor as they or them. Um, and it was weird at first. Um, she is biologically a woman. Um, or I guess there's. Debate, there would be debate about people who are gender theorists on that, but the way I see it, she's the actress is a woman. Let's put it like that, and um, and it was weird. And for me, hearing entire conversation, as much as I've seen people uh, putting in their Twitter bios, you know, their pronouns and stuff like that, for me, it was weird seeing or hearing entire conversations referring to someone as they or them. Um, and I guess I got used to it through the... I binged it, so I saw like four seasons in a few weeks. And um, and the character is really cool, and they're interesting, and, and it just got me used to that idea. And I'm not completely... I'm, I don't want to say comfortable, but comfortable in the way that I'm not used to saying those uh, words in that way. I'm not completely comfortable with that yet, but I'm getting more used to it because of the influence of that pop culture uh, TV show. So it normalized it for me. And now it's like, at first it was a little bit shocking. You know, it's, it, do we, oh, okay, so that's how it works. It sounds strange. Um, but now it's like, you know what? It really doesn't hurt anyone. Um, they want to be called they? Fine. And in the show they reference, I think there are two episodes in four seasons where they reference this. At some point she has to dress differently and wear a wig to appear womanly. 
um, or they have to dress differently and, uh, and wear a wig to appear womanly and to be like a woman. And at some point, she has a discussion with her father, who also is having trouble calling um, them they. And he refers to them or her as uh, a woman or she or uh, her kid. Uh, uh, I mean, his daughter or stuff like that. I guess daughter still. Uh, and then he corrects himself. He says, my child or whatever. But it really helped me normalize that idea to the point that I could think about it, I think, with a little bit more objectivity and not having the weight of my, not even preconceptions. That's not what it's about. My habits, you know? And I think that's a little bit of what we're talking about here as well. The We have a habit of doing certain things. Maybe in the US it is, we need our guns. And maybe in France it is, we need to keep religion out of everything. And maybe in Germany it is, we need to go really, really fast on the highway. Um, and, and here, it got me used to a thing, it normalized it, so I could not, dis that didn't decide what I thought about it, but it, it made sure that I could think about it uh, rationally. And And now that I think about it a little bit rationally, it's like, it doesn't hurt anyone, whatever. Sure, I can I can call you that if, if, if it makes you happy. Why not? Why would I deny you this? It Honestly, I don't think it's going to change society. It's not... Anyway, we could talk about non-binary and, and that issue um, in another episode. But as it relates to the hijab thing... I, I came from from a place where I had the weight of my habits. And over the last few years, because of the normalization through proximity, I got to, okay, this doesn't seem like it's a crusade to convert everyone to uh, Islam. And as religions go, this is a pretty mild way of, of <laughs> uh, adhering to the precepts. It's just wearing a scarf. And you know I love scarves, so sure. So anyway, that was a very so long, uh, getting back on the hijab thing. Just something yeah. I'm interested in, um, because it's kind of interesting for us. We're talking about anti-Semitism again in Germany a lot these days, and um, when it comes to anti-Semitism, a lot of people point out, well, you should be allowed to wear a kippa, the uh, Jewish head. Uh, What do you call it? Uh, the the the, the uh, Jewish male rabbi. The, hmm? the rabbi. No, no, no. Uh, the uh, just a little cap. Everyone wears. Oh yeah, the kippa. Yeah, yeah, the kippa. And um, if uh, if you should be, a, a, a lot of people are pointing out you should be allowed to wear a kippa in public, and everyone should be free to do that without fear, because a lot of it, uh, there are a lot of news stories. If you wear a kippa in 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 the open, uh, you are the target of anti-Semitism and hate, and oftentimes, and uh, it's interesting that a lot of the people who point out that this should be allowed and should be possible have a different stance on the headscarf thing, even mm. though they're both uh, religious symbols. But in one case, they are allowed, uh, apparently, to show that in public, and in the other case, they're not. So I'm just interested, is there something similar in France as well? Is there a difference? Um... Well, I don't think we've quite had issues with the kippah, certainly not on the level of the headscarf, which for the record, a kippah is a lot more discreet than a headscarf. But we certainly have 
in um in parts of France, I guess, but certainly Paris, um, Hasidic Jews, Jew communities, maybe not as extreme as Hasidic, but, you know, people who don't shave or who let their hair grow, including, the, you know, the little twirly things on the <laughs> sides, um, and who wear specific clothes. I don't think they're quite uh, being... When, when the Jewish religion is discussed, it's usually as in the same context as um, it is in Germany, it seems, saying there's a, a re, you know, returning of anti-Semitism and it shouldn't happen. Um, because there are more anti-Semitic acts. I don't know that I would say the same, you know, the people who advocate for uh, against anti-Semitism are also people who have a different stance on the Islamic veil. I don't mm -hmm. think so. I think people who are for religious symbols would probably be for for both, but I don't know that to be mm. a, a well, fact. Was just something sure, I but. thought about because you uh, mentioned the differences between the religious symbols. Like a lot of people are maybe more forgiving if you show Christian symbols uh, than mm. you if you do Muslim or Jewish symbols. Well, Christian maybe. symbols for sure. I think France still there are people who consider France to be a. I mean, no, I'll take the risk. France is more of a Christian country than, you know, traditionally it is, it has more Christian roots than other religions. Um, the, the, the Jewish community has always been there. Um, and, you know, as in many other countries, ostracized to an extent. And the, the, the prevalence of the Muslim community is more new, probably, you know, the last, I don't know, 100 years or so, maybe 50, 60 years after the Second World War. Um, so there is a little bit of a difference of different take maybe on the Jewish and, and Muslim communities. But I think the people who are for or against one specific thing would on principle be applying it to both Jewish and Muslims even if they don't quite believe, you know, if there are people who have a deep hatred of the Muslims somewhere, then they, and they don't hate the Jews as much, they would say the same for both because that's how it should be for them. But they would make a different case for the Christian uh, faith and symbols, I'm sure, justifying it by saying, well, France is a Christian country, right? Mm -hmm. That's the, the okay. Christian identity, I think. Okay. Well, and right. just for uh, something a little more lighter, there's one thing I wanted to mention just for the laughter, I guess. Okay. Uh, if we are having so many problems down here, maybe we should just go into space because we're now discussing <laughs> if Germany should have a spaceport and if we should build one here in Germany. And uh, okay. for, <laughs> it's something... Uh, that is exploding on Twitter and Facebook, of course, because everyone is just shaking their heads and uh, laughing about it. But um, you mean a spaceport for private space travel, or no, not yeah. Well, no, I, I'm not sure if it's private or not. It's um, the, the idea is uh, someone from the industry, whoever that was, um, made a remark. There are so many people working in space-related industries over here, like building satellites, communication, uh, and all these different parts. 
um, well, if so many people are working in that industry, maybe we should do something for that industry and build our own spaceport so everyone will launch their satellites from Germany. And uh, it seems like the, something... the, the sky and the weather are not the best suited for that kind of activity. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that too. And um, well, it's possible. I mean, a, a lot of the uh, um, spaceports that launch satellites, for example, are near the equator because it's more energy exactly, efficient yeah. if you do that in the equator. But it's possible uh, to do that from almost anywhere, I guess. Okay. But uh, for some reason, they decided that should be a topic. And now we are discussing if we should build <laughs> one. And our minister of economics said, well, we are going to uh, check if that's possible and if we should consider that. And uh, everyone says, uh, well, um, even if that's uh, a possibility maybe we should think about that because over here in germany we are not very good with uh, building huge uh, projects because we have a lot of failed public projects at the moment mm -hmm. we can't build uh, airports we can't build train stations so why should we build a spaceport but <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, just something that um, made the news the other day especially on social media and i think i should mention it just for everyone to have a, a laugh i guess listen i'm all for building spaceports in germany um if we need to go out to space i would much rather have to travel to germany than to uh some you know uh, um, caribbean country or territory uh, it's much farther so as we will soon be able to travel to the moon and Mars, I think we need a spaceport in a spaceport in Europe. And if you don't want to build it, we have a lot of expertise as well. Uh, I'm sure we could create some kind of joint spaceport task force um, from the uh, European space agencies with everyone from the EU and continue the tradition of working together to avoid future deadly conflicts so let's do that are good you with idea. me good idea excellent and on that note we will bring the show to a close thank you so much matthias for being with me and uh, bringing a little bit of that uh, franco-german couple into the episode where can people find you on the internet if they want more of your musings if you want to talk to me or uh, see what I'm ranting about online, you can always find me on Twitter. The handle is at Matzekult. And if you are using Mastodon, you can also find me under the same handle on the instance chaos.social. Perfect. I will put the link to the Twitter account on uh, the show notes. And for me, it's not Patrick on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And you can find this show at frenchspin.com and support this show at patreon.com slash the Phileas Club. The link is in the show notes. If you enjoy it, if you think it's important, if you have fun listening, then maybe consider sending a couple of bucks our way. Thank you very much. And we will talk to you again in a few weeks. Bye.